Welcome to the Tweet Trends Podcast. Hey, Yvette, what's trending today? Hey, I'm Yvette. Hey, girl. And you are tuned into Tweet Trends. It's the quickest way to find out what's trending today. Some might say that it's the most wonderful time of the year. Let's get started. Hello there and welcome back to Tweet Trends. Yes, I'm talking about the most wonderful time of the year that parents refer to. And that would be the school year starting all over again. Kids, not so much. They're not too eager. They want to stretch summer out as long as they can. But before you know it, everyone is going to be back in school, whether it's homeschool, regular school, what have you. And this is a pretty serious situation. Before I go any further, I got my partner in crime with me today. Hey, Wynn. Hey, Sunshine. How you doing? I'm great. (laughs) You going to say hey? I am. Hey, Tweet Trends family. And thank you for having me on again. Well, I know that this is a, a special year for you because uh gonna spill the beans somebody is going to be in the school system somebody is going to be in the school system i have accepted a position in chesapeake public schools as a teaching assistant yes yes and so i imagine that today's topic is gonna take on a whole new life for you the more you uh, dive into this whole school system thing. Yeah, I think it'll provide more depth. Uh, Clearly, I've known about, you know, different school systems with, you know, having kids a different age. And so now to understand from the inside of what our youngest is going through, uh, it's going to be it's going to be intriguing. Yeah, I'm really excited. So we're probably going to have to have another interview with you just talking about school and Ooh. what you think about it, what am it's I, Am like. I going to be on the record? We're going to change my voice to yes. to mask my identity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we won't tell anybody that it's you. Got it. But so when I think about schools, I realized a long time ago when I got started actually back in the day (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll go with that back when i i started teaching back in call it mid mid what 90s yeah in the mid 90s for sure yeah it was 96 i'm not afraid to say it okay at (laughs) i started teaching back in 1996 and even then there were issues with education and Seems like everybody around the country was trying some new form or fashion of either delivering the knowledge or to group the kids differently. There was a bunch of different things going on. And that year in 96, I started teaching eighth grade. And the school that I was working at was in North Carolina, and they had a situation where they 
did not they had end of end of year testing if you passed end of year testing you got to go to high school if you didn't you got held back in middle school but you also couldn't give students like f's Mm. you could give them d's but you couldn't give them f's and it was just all of these weird things that coming out of college just having learned how to be a teacher and i'm like they didn't teach me this what in the world and so i went from there and i school hopped i went to a different school each year because i was a math snob i'm like everybody needs a good math teacher so i don't have to sit and hang around any nonsense that i did not feel was good for me good for the students or whatever And I found it very difficult to find a place to teach because every school system that I was in, there was some type of crazy something or other. And in most cases, it wasn't anything that came down from the teachers where the teacher said, hey, this is how we need support. It was coming from the like the state. And the state, people who had never been in a classroom before, we're handing down these rules and laws saying this is what you all need to do in order to get kids to learn. And it's like, wait a minute, you've never even seen one of these kids in person. You don't know what it's like. And literally felt like being in the trenches. And then I found my place. I stayed out of school for seven years straight. And then I met you and then you whisked me away. And I was back on my every year different place. (laughs) Yay me and shame on me all at the same time. No, it wasn't that bad. It was just more along the lines of because we had to leave places. That's all. Um, But I want to talk about some of the shenanigans that's happening right now. Okay. And um, so, yeah, let's dive in. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize because this, this segment here might be a little bit much it might run over it'll be okay because i'm i'm very passionate about some of the things that we're going to be talking about right now so everybody's talking about houston isd and rightfully so this school district because of the failing schools they have Replace the superintendent with a hand-picked person, Mike Miles. And they have disbanded the school board and replaced it with people. Supposedly, these people are supposed to be from the community. But my question is, what are their credentials? You know, is it because they got money? That could be a problem, you know? But then on top of that, the icing on the cake is that the remediation plan that Mr. Miles has come up with is to get rid of the libraries in 28 of the schools of the district and turn them into, what do they call them? Into, oh gosh. They're they some were not type. detention centers. Yeah, they gave it a, a cute little name, but it's a detention center, if you ask me. There's there's no other way to describe it. But 
what what's your thoughts on this? Well, um, the the very root of it, well, the the very basic overview of it is that it's uh, does not seem to be from the couple of the um, town halls that I've caught part of. Uh, doesn't seem to be favored by the parents by the families. Um, they don't understand it. They don't like it. They've been asking for other resources, other methods to um, get their school districts to be at the state level, at the standard, and those have not been met. And so I, I just think that there are various undertones that um, we can probably talk about here that uh, are really the root of why this type of scenario has uh, come to fruition. Well, and so the other part, teachers don't like it either because they all had to reapply for their jobs. They're, they're called team centers, right? Team centers. team centers. So they had to reapply for their job and librarians who normally worked in these libraries that are now being called team centers, the librarians were not rehired. No, yeah, they got to either pivot and find something else to do in schools, find another library in the school district to work at, right. or kick rocks, basically. Right. And uh, I, I think um, it, it's really a tough situation because, as one of the parents uh, pointed out to this, this new superintendent, is that this is where people's democratic voice has been taken from them. And, and not just in one fell swoop, right? This has been a multi-step process because the law that allows for this to occur was passed in 2015. So that's likely to state that a, at some point, something was occurring, which if you identify that a school is failing, no one wants the schools to fail. No one wants their children to be subjected to a failing school environment. Um, but I... I I would need to do some more research, but I would put money on it that the the impetus for putting that law in in 2015 was to be able to take an action like this and not so much for the good of the kids, right? That's going to be the veil. That's what's going to be identified. But Houston and their legislature have been proponents of school vouchers. And again, that goes to a bigger argument mm -hmm. that undergirds the uh, public school system and the ability to uh, for everybody to have a adequate education. Right. Well, and you know, the logic behind these learning centers. <laughs> team centers. Team centers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the logic behind it is shaky, if you ask me, because... Knowing what went what took place during COVID and how teachers were teaching virtually, the way that they've explained one, the way that it's been explained in number in oh gosh, I can't even talk. The way that has been explained in numerous different um, inquiries, for lack of a better word. It seems to change every time I get another report on it from legit sources. They're trying to describe it. I, I don't know if they're trying to massage it to make it sound better to be that's that spoonful of sugar. Right. You know, but 
when you think about what they're saying, they're saying that, okay, if a student acts up in class, then they can be removed from the classroom and sent down to this team center. Mm -hmm. And they can then pick up their class activity virtually from the, the team center. Well, that sounds absolutely ludicrous to me because then that means the classroom teacher at all times has to be teaching in dual modes. Right. Both virtually and face-to-face because you never know when something's going to pop off in a classroom and a kid's going to act up and then you have to send them out. Right. Well, I I think, uh, and to your point, Right. As we we read what they're stating is to be the case, when necessary, the team center will provide students who are struggling or disrupting the traditional classroom environment due to their discipline and behavior issues. It gives them the opportunity to get necessary care and engagement. Right. And and you just I don't think studies show. I know studies show that to get that you need to have a smaller group. You need to have a smaller ratio, you know. One teacher to three students, one teacher to four students, one teacher to maybe five students, but you get them into a smaller group instead of being in a class of 20, 25, 30 kids. And then now you can be more attentive to their individual needs because of that ratio. And so taking them into a space that has room for 75 75 kids when they were already disruptive in their classroom does not sound like a recipe for success. No. And then, you know, the whole discussion, we've talked about this for years and years and years, the pipeline from the schools to the jails. To me, this just seems like how you get them there faster. You kick them out of the classroom, you send them to a huge room full of other kids that have discipline problems, probably didn't eat that day, and just really having a bad day. Right. Well, and so this this is where I think the the bigger picture, right? If you were to do some, uh, I'm gonna put three of your favorite words together: some root cause analysis. Ooh. You, <laughs> I'm gonna say it again: root cause analysis. Ooh, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> you silly. Uh, but root cause analysis points towards the schools that are being identified as being majority black and brown schools. Mm -hmm. And so it comes down to foundationally economics of those districts because schools that have more economic ability, meaning the parents, that they have more means, their students who were hampered by COVID-19, like most students were, and studies point that out, they're able to get mentoring, they're able to get tutors, they're able to get extra resources to get their kids back up to and on to the grade level that affected our entire country and the world, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. When you don't have those resources, then those educational gaps can only grow. And so now you take these specific schools and these black and brown communities and you, in my opinion, find a legal way to document and that's all that I think this is. Mm-hmm. We're going to document, 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 and then take an action that does not bode well for the student overall that now goes back to that school-to-prison pipeline. Right. So in the absence of people's democratic um, choices being trampled, 
meaning we voted for the school board. To your point earlier, what credentials do does this does this uh, appointed superintendent? What credentials do the managers that they're that they've hired uh, these team centers and their learning coaches? What credentials do they have that these educators don't have? I mean, you know, you and your peers, people of your ilk, you guys go to school to learn how to do what you do, not just the material, but also how to do it, how to apply it, how to take the strongest student and motivate them, how to take the weakest student and motivate them, but how to bring a wide range of individuals to a, to and through a process. And also to your point, uh, or, or maybe we discussed this off mic, that if they are looking to, in twenty five twenty six base teacher salary off student performance, that also is a recipe for disaster because now you are already dealing with a teacher shortage. I don't know many teachers who are going to want to go into that environment who, as you get into middle school and high school, their their potential salaries are going to be based on some foundational things that kids should have learned at elementary school. So, yeah, that was a discussion we had off the mic, and that's one of my (laughs) soapboxes. I'm about to step up on it. Oh, my gosh. So, as a high school mathematics teacher, that was one of the most frustrating things that I had to experience was that they kept wanting to say that the student achievement on the standardized test, they were going to tie it to the educator. And I'm saying as a high school math teacher, I wasn't there with them when they learned how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And honestly, that's not my job. That's not a part of my job description to teach them how to do those basics. I'm here for the algebra, the geometry, the algebra two, the calculus. Trigonometry. All of that stuff. (laughs) I'm here for that. But now you're saying that it's my fault because I can't get them to this point where I don't even know where they've been, what they experienced, what type of situation they had to get them to where they are, why they aren't performing, what pieces were missing, and where in the school day is that time to be able to assess each and every student to figure out where the the holes are. Well, and I, I, I agree with all that. And I think you're going to run into scenarios more and more often where, unfortunately, there may be some uh, professionals for nefarious means pass a student. Hey, oh yeah, they're passing. My salary is good until they get to your level, until they get to your peers' level, and this student is not cutting the mustard. They can't do what it is that they have been documented as being able to do, right? And, and somewhere that has to be codified, somewhere that has to come to fruition, because otherwise, again, you put people in a spot of saying, "Okay, well, that ain't happening on my watch." Uh, pass go ahead and move on and now they're out of society having uh on paper passed a certain level of curriculum however not being able to function right can't read can't write you know all those things and it's unfortunate because we would see that a lot in high schools 
because you had these kids at you know the upper level of middle school they started playing sports and then now all of a sudden they see you know dollar signs like oh this kid yeah let's get him on the team let's get her on the team and let's just keep pushing them through pushing them through pushing them through i mean you even see that on the college level they get out of high school and can't perform they go to college still can't perform but boy oh boy can they make some people they can make a come... dunk they can throw a pass catch a pass run that ball right and exactly. they put butts in seats right and they're okay with that and then once their eligibility is used up deuces right whatever you choose to do now it's on you it's on you and then these kids are like well what am i supposed to do now i can't even read and now they're embarrassed because they can't like ooh, i'm sorry i'm gonna step down off of my soapbox real right and so again that that's just a slippery slope to ultimately being the student losing in that in that situation right and so i think when we look at other countries and what they do to educate the population um the united states does not have a good overall track record of looking out for every student no. right we we just don't and because we're arrogant we <laughs> we think nobody else can do it better than us what's that song nobody does it better Sing that song, girl. <laughs> it's like we seem to think that our stuff don't stink right. and that these other countries there's no way we could learn anything from them when the opposite is is what it is really we right. could learn a lot from these other countries with healthcare and education mm-hmm. and all of the things. Right. I think, um, well, and, and to that point, right, the the arrogance, the bravado, the, the just sheer, um, good gracious, I can't even come up with a good word, and maybe that's the fault of my education system. But <laughs> <laughs> but the, just, just the sheer gall to, to not look at education in each system or each state and overall system to Mm -hmm. say, this is how we can do it better. Right. Because one of the things you and I talked about the other day, we use, in my opinion, false stats or Mm -hmm. uh, insufficient stats to identify something. We'll say um, this state is ranked 50th in education. They're ranked 49th in math. They're ranked 47th in reading, mm-hmm. right? Well, if you have 50 states, somebody is going to be ranked number one mm-hmm. and somebody is going to be ranked 50. So being ranked 50th isn't the issue, Mm-mm. right? The issue is to understand what the standard is and to know what the standard degradation or gradation is to know how far off you are, right? So looking at whatever the standard deviation to say, hey, you're within one standard deviation. Okay, got it. You're meeting the mark. You're number 50, but you're within one one standard deviation. Right, you're still meeting the mark. You're ranked number 50, and you're off the charts, right? Like, you're you're some straight number, six deviations away from the mean. Okay, now there's a problem, right? Because not only are you 50, but, you know, whatever the case would be. So there, there are ways, obviously, with stats. You can make stats to say and read whatever you want. But ultimately, if it is about the kid, it is about education our country, ignorance is costing the country millions, right? There's a report out there that shows that just from um, the pandemic, the loss in education 
is going to yield uh, revenue that's going to be three to five percent of the country's GDP. Mm. Right. They're talking three hundred five to five hundred billion dollars loss due to the the students that move through the system not being able to um, hold certain jobs. Right. That other uh, people from other countries um, coming to the United States, meeting the requirements, doing those jobs because they have the academic acumen uh, to be able to um, meet the mark. We've stepped off of the soapbox (laughs) and now it's time to talk about what can be done. How can we make a difference and in order to do that, we got we to gotta do things differently. Things have got to change. Things have to change, right? And so change has to come from within the school district in this case here. So Houston Independent School District. We're having this conversation being in Virginia, but what we've seen in our country through the centuries is that when somebody has an idea, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a good idea, it can be good for their cause, it will be copied, right? And yes. so other school systems, other districts, other states may very well have something like this or something worse to deal with. So I think, again, in looking for change to come within, you have to have the stakeholders sit down and identify what the actual problems are. Right. Without because I I just find it really difficult to fix a problem, as it sounds like the uh, new superintendent has been holding town halls to to state, oh, we're going to come in and fix the problems. Yet from his speeches and from, again, the the comments and the, the feedback, the parents don't see that as the problem. So now they're the stakeholders. They're the parents. They have this this the kids. And you're coming in saying what you're going to do to fix the problem. And you guys don't agree on the problem. So that, to me, is fundamentally flawed. Um, I think another element is, you know, the civic engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding what's going on in your city. Understanding what your city council is doing. What your school boards are doing. So that when a f- law is up for a vote, that you really understand what, what it's saying what it's saying and what the what's the potential cause right because they they could have had very well had great intentions for this law proposal hey if your schools are failing then we're going to take this action and on the surface okay that sounds good that makes sense right but then upon execution and then you start realizing oh whoa 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 hold on a second so we haven't gotten any of the other resources or any of the other things that we think were going to help our schools and help our districts, which we've kind of talked on earlier in this conversation, you know, mm-hmm. just the economic means of some families in some cities, then now you're coming in to take the step. Um, I, I just, I just don't see how ultimately that student is going to win. Right. It, it doesn't, it just doesn't pass muster to me. Well, and, you know, so when you talk about the different laws and voting and whatnot, you have to make sure you understand what 
they mean because I've noticed and you know we've talked about it on numerous occasions just privately how they'll word these things on the ballot and it's so confusing and mm-hmm. you look at it and you're just like I don't even know what this is saying what <laughs> do I want to say yes or no or you know because they they find a way to make it as confusing as possible right intentionally i feel because if you throw those key words in there or you have like double negatives you know can't not and some other things like that that's like okay wait a minute so are you saying this or are you saying that right and it depends on how you know what state you're in what state of mind you're in when Mm -hmm. you're reading it right and if you had breakfast because then you just can't think but you know and on top of that voting in your local elections and not just looking at the presidential election as the end all be all the president isn't going to change any of this this is stuff on your local level but then the sad thing here with houston is that these people did vote for who they wanted in place and that still kind of didn't help them any because these people were taken out of their positions their elected positions Right. Now, some of those elected officials are a part of this new team of managers, but they're still they still fall under that handpicked superintendent by the state's governor. And so, um, you know, one thing just kind of an abstract just came to me is, is that I don't think it would be really cool if when a law is passed, you had some period of time. You state the reason for why you're passing a law. Here's the change. Here's the event that happened and the change that's needed. You implement this law. Now it's implemented. You do a three-year, five-year review. What are the results of that law? Did it do the changes that you thought it would? Did it have the same effect? If not, in my opinion, there should be some sort of automatic repeal or modification that goes into effect. So here... We're talking about a law that was passed in 2015. They attempted to enact it in 2019. Uh, actually, no. No, they took it. They went to court. They went to court. In 2019 about right. it. And but the, the Supreme Court. Texas Supreme Court, you know, upheld that law. And so now they're just implementing it this year. But still, this law has been on the books for eight years now. And now Houston Independent School District, which, as we just kind of mentioned earlier, is a blue dot in a red state, right? Just based on mm-hmm. the the Democratic, or I'm sorry, just based on the voting strength. So you now take an opportunity to potentially weaken uh, a political uh, landscape in a certain way. Uh, I, I just, again, just really struggle with trying to understand the why, right? So I, I know we don't have laws like that, that, okay, your law is going to do this, or... We go back to what we did before or it gets modified and adjusted for what it needs to. Um, but but something like that would be cool. So my lawmakers out there, um, I need you to contact Tweet Trends. And she's going <laughs> to give you that information and tell us how we can put something like that in action. That actually sounds pretty cool. Like that that would be pretty awesome because then you're not stuck with something until the right people get in office to be able to change it. Because like you said, this blue dot in a red state, it may never get to go back. Right. 
or maybe it doesn't need to go back, back. but it could never, it may never get better. Improve, right. Because right. of the desire to do different things, like with vouchers and with, um, you know, charter schools mm -hmm. and all of the such that people are steadily trying to move people away from the public schools right. and... You know, this this too looks like another attempt at trying to frustrate the people out of the building to then start something else. You're frustrating the, the, the families and kids out of the building. You're frustrating the teachers out of their professions. You're, you're doing a lot of things that is going to disenchant people and ultimately disenfranchise them because... They're not going to necessarily want to stay in that area and may look to move to another city. And so now that blue dot is no longer blue dot. It may become purple. It may even become red. And again, you have things happen for nefarious reasons that should not. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. And honestly, this is probably one of the longest episodes of the entire season. <laughs> but it's one of the most important ones because I believe the children are the future. And if we teach them well, we can let them lead the way. But right now, we've got to figure this thing out because if not, they're going to be in a world of trouble. Well, that and like we said, these trouble, this trouble, and it's not good trouble, but this trouble that Houston is experiencing may be coming to a school district near you. And so uh, it's important for us to be engaged and understand. But then, like you said, in our call to action to understand what steps we can take right now to look at what our school district policies are, what the state policies are, and what that can actually mean uh, for our kids. You know, and, and I, I look at this in a weird way because I came up from a parochial school environment, right? So I didn't go to a public school until college. So I sit and talk with you on occasion about public school experiences, not having gone through one. And, uh, you know, it's, it's challenging, but uh, it, it can be fixed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up about... My brain just went blank about public and private schools. No, before that. Action, the, oh, about coming yeah. to a school district near uh, you. Yeah, that part. That part. All of those things. Um, no, the fact that we see it in Houston, and I think that's why I wanted to talk about it so bad. We see it happening in Houston now, but it literally could be anywhere tomorrow because all they have to do is set precedents. And from there, you know... It's every state for themselves, every school district for themselves. And, you know, this could be a wide stretching trend mm -hmm. in education. Mm -hmm. And I'm literally afraid. Well, and and there's a, a few other things that I think complicate this type of scenario, too, uh, in our country going on. Right. And you look at my home state of Alabama where their voting district maps were deemed by the U.S. Supreme Court as being non-constitutional, they were directed to change the maps to a certain standard. They came back, said, hey, here's our effort, and it did not meet that standard. 
right? So so now what? It, it's kind of like a, well, make me, right? And I think to your point, you'll find school districts, states, you know, communities being faced with situations. It'll go to court. There'll be some sort of, um, you know, verdict on it. And if it's not to what the governing party wants, then they're just like, yeah, we're going to keep it like this. And then you make us right in that time period. Many, many students are being affected by that. Mm -hmm. Right. One year, two year, three years worth of harm potentially done to them because of decisions made like that. So bottom line is to keep your head on a swivel. Keep your ears open and your eyes on the prize. Healed. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, make sure that you do what you can to be active in, you know, what's going on in the schools in your area. Know about other, wherever your relatives are as well. If you have little people in your family, be mindful. But even if you don't, you should still keep an eye out because these are going to be the people running the communities that you live in when you're old. So don't give up on them. Don't, you know, look at it as somebody else's problem because it's all of our responsibility. And um, before I end up on my soapbox again, I better go ahead and shut this thing down. Thank you again for joining us and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you again for having me and uh, you guys take care out there.